My name is Jay, and we will be reading uh, today's passage from Proverbs 11, 24 to 26, and Acts chapter 20, verse 35. Please follow along in your own Bible or the screen behind me. Proverbs chapter 11, 24 to 26. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give, and he only suffers want. Whoever brings blessings will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. The people curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. Acts chapter 20, verse 35. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. This is the reading of God's word. Uh, well, good morning to you, True North. Uh, my name is Eugene. I'm one of the pastoral members here on our staff. I'm really excited and glad to have you on this Sunday. Uh, I know we already kind of addressed it. Uh, JR did in our call to worship. I want to thank her for that. Um, but we also want to just take a time to be a church that's aware of what's going on outside of our little bubbles. I'm sure all of you are aware uh, of the escalating tensions and hope, I mean, not hopefully, but it seems like a uh, a war in Israel and Palestine. So we want to just take a moment just to acknowledge that, pray for that. And before that, I'm just going to read a text really quick. It's not on the screen, so don't worry in the behind. But Psalm 46, um, verses 9 to 10, um, it's always helpful for me to read this in times of trouble, especially when it's something this large on an international scale. This is what the psalmist writes. He makes war seas to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Um, If we could just take a moment and just bow your heads and just pray with me um, for that region and for the conflict. Uh, Lord, we want to be a church that's not just inward facing, um, but outward facing as you have exemplified through your son, Jesus. And as we look into the holy lands that we read about, that we see your son living in in the gospels, as we see the rising tension and the atrocities committed um, in, on Israel and it, the incoming seems like war coming, we, we want to pray that psalm um, over that nation, over that region, um, over the ongoing conflict, that we trust that you are one who sees all injustice, that we can trust that vengeance is the Lord. At the same time, you are one who also brings about peace. So Lord, we ask for supernatural wisdom to the leaders Um, for somehow your sovereignty and your power to break hearts and to bring peace upon that land. And although it may seem logically impossible through years of failed policies, we trust that you are sovereign all over the earth, especially in that region. So we lift that region to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, uh, I want to welcome you again to to True North. And uh, today we'll actually be starting uh, a sermon series on generosity, on what that looks like, what it means. It'll be a short three-week series. Uh, If you know me, one thing I don't like is like doing an overview sermon because I try and pack too much information. So if it is too much, I apologize. Um, But we wanted to do this three-week series on generosity. And I'll be honest, Jay and myself always have a lot of hesitation talking about finances or money from the pulpit. Um, We're Asian American, and oftentimes it's kind of instilled upon us, if you are like me from immigrant family, finances are just kind of kept to yourself. You don't talk about that too much in public. But with that, when you look at the the text that we just read, when you look at Jesus' life and ministry, 
one thing you begin to realize is that generosity is a core principle of the gospel given to us. And that actually Jesus was not at all ashamed to talk about money. If you look at the the parables that he speaks, 11 out of the 39 parables, that's 30% of the parables, are directly about money and finances from Jesus. The only time Jesus actually physically gets angry is a time of finance where he flips the tables in the temples where people are trying to make profit out of a place of worship. What that shows us is this. Jesus cares about our money. Jesus cares about our finances. And more than that, Jesus cares what we do with it. But we want to tell you this. Before we even get to finances and money, generosity is not just about how much you give from your wallet, but it's a holistic idea and mindset that Jesus embarks us to to take. See, Jesus radically calls us to be generous, not just with our finances, but with all aspects of our life. So today what I want to do before we get into money and finance, which, you know, luckily Jay will preach on that, so if you get, you can email him if anything comes up, okay? But to set us up to get there, what I want to do today is answer two simple questions before we get to our finances. Why Should we be generous as people? And how can we simply start to be generous? I just want to answer those two simple questions. It will be a little bit of a shotgun approach with a lot of information, but whatever sticks, I hope you can hold it. But the first question I think is so important is this, why should we be generous as people? Because this is the thing, I, I, I would argue this, most of us here, even if you didn't grow up in the church, I would say 99%, actually 100% of human beings on this planet would agree the idea of generosity is a noble idea to aspire after. It's something that we should do. It's innate in us. But the problem is this, especially as Christians, if the only cause for our generosity is that we have to do it or that we're doing it to be nice people, it's generosity that is not sustainable. Because what God shows us and what Jesus will show us in a little bit is this, that generosity goes much deeper than just being a good person. Generosity is wired into the core of your identity. It is who you are, your true self. And and this is what I mean by that. We first have to see this before we get into any practical aspect of generosity. Before we focus on how we can be generous, we have to look at how our God is generous to us. Right? We have to first see that we cannot give out of guilt or begrudgingly, but out of the abundance that we have because of the abundance of our creator and the abundance of our savior. I'll be using those two words, these two words a lot, abundance and scarcity. Um, and this is the thing, if most sociologists would agree with this. Uh, this is a very like, cool t- topic people often talk about. Uh, sociologists would agree this. For someone to be generous, this isn't even just biblical principles, this is just what sociologists have researched. For any person to be generous, they have to operate out of an abundance mindset and not a scarcity mindset. A mindset of abundance and not of scarcity. There's a million TED Talks on this. You can watch all of them. They're great. They all say the same thing, okay? Because what a scarcity mindset, which I would argue 99% of all of us here, Westerners carry, is this. The scarcity mindset is this, that we believe that resources, possessions, material wealth, it's all limited. It's all limited. And because it's limited, I need to calculate in a calculated way 
protect my own assets because that's the world that we live in. And I would argue this. That's also kind of the cold hard truth of life. And if you're, if you're like me, if you're raised in an immigrant family, um, it was instilled in you that you must carry a scarcity mindset. And to no fault of my parents were immigrants, it completely was understandable. Like, I didn't know what a heater felt like until I was married because my parents refused to turn on the heater. Like, even though it's like 45 degrees, literally 45 degrees in my house, and we have a really nice heating system, my parents would be like, oh, it's too much resources. Put on two sweaters and you'll be okay, right? And if you're like me, many of you probably have that mindset of just like, it's carried down too. And what I've realized is this, like, you know, side note too, like, well, how can my parents, they never use a dishwasher. Like, it was just to hold dishes, you know what I'm talking about? And say, like, why, why? It's like, oh, it, it takes too much water. But research has shown it saves water if you do that, right? Anyways, like all that being said, okay, many of us carry that scarcity mindset, not just with these simple things, but it ingrains itself into our soul. It's not just like these small things like our electricity bill or our money, but it's like our time, our relationships, our soul. It's, everything is scarce. And what happens is this. If that is how you think about life, you can never truly be generous, because how can you be if everything is scarce? So sociologists will always say you need to carry an abundance mindset. You need to carry an abundance mindset. They love that word. Uh, finance gurus love that. But the problem is this. When you look at the actual life that we live, when you look at what's even happening on the news, it's hard to step into that mindset. How can we live in abundance when it seems like the world around us is crashing down on our heads? And this is the beauty of the gospel and the scriptures that we have. You see, the first thing that we need to unravel, and this will be a large onion that we peel, but the first peel is this. For us to get to be generous people, we have to first realize this. We were created not out of scarcity, but we were created out of abundance. We were created not out of scarcity, but out of abundance. This is what I mean. Genesis 1 to 3 is the most important three chapters in the Bible, I would say. Because it sets up everything, even Jesus coming. Because what Genesis 1 and 3 tells you is this. It's something that was counter-cultural. Because during the time in the ancient Near East, every other creation story was a story of, hey, there are these multiple gods, and the reason you're created is because they fought. Some guy won, some god won, and out of that, he created human beings to worship him. All of those stories are a scarcity mindset. It's gods competing against one another for resources. But when you look at Genesis 1 to 3, it's a completely different story. There are no other gods. There is one divine creator who creates not out of conflict, not out of scarcity, but he creates with mere words out of abundance. All throughout Genesis, there's this verb that God gives and gives and gives and gives to his creation. And that first step that we have to see is this. We worship a God not of begrudging scarcity, but of overflowing abundance. That is the core identity of the God that we believe in. It's a God of overflowing abundance and overflowing generosity. Let me get even more specific. This might be a little too granular, but I love these little tidbits. When you look at days one to six of how the world was made, God creates light, he creates heaven, he creates the waters, he creates animals. And then what he does on day six, he creates human beings. And it's the most beloved creation he has. What does he do on the next day? 
The seventh day, he says, this is a day of Sabbath. Now, often there's a lot of arguments like, oh, is God taking a rest because he's tired? Like, I don't think so. The reason I believe the seventh day is made uh, into Sabbath is because that's the first day human beings live into. Does that make sense? The first day that we live into is not God creating more things, but of complete rest and abundance and generosity. And when you look at the creation narrative, what you see is this, the serpent in Genesis 3 is the first one to allow this scarcity mindset to creep into Adam and Eve. See, when, when God creates Adam and Eve in Genesis 1 and 2, he tells them, everything I created out of abundance, out of generosity, is for you. All I ask is that you don't eat out of one tree, the tree of knowledge and evil. And because of that, they don't do that. In Genesis 3, the serpent comes and he starts to create this kind of doubt in Adam and Eve's mind. He tells Eve, did he tell you you can't eat out of any tree? It sounds like, my translation is this, it sounds like God's holding out on you, Eve. He's allowing this scarcity mindset to creep into Eve, like, oh, God is holding out on me? What happens? Not generosity, but blame, sin, and the fall. You see, we have to realize we're created out of abundance, and the serpent is the one who creates seeds of scarcity. And it goes even further in the scripture story. We see Jesus appear in the New Testament. And what Jesus proves us is also this, that the God that we worship is not giving because of his abundance, but sacrificially out of his abundance. Meaning this, oftentimes many of us might view God like, uh, like Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos. So meaning uh, on the news, you often will hear Jeff Bezos donated like $10 million. You're like, that's amazing. But all these other articles would be like, that's literally me giving half a penny to this like, foundation, right? He can only give that much because he has so much to give. And I think often this, sometimes when we view God, we might think like, oh, that's who God is. He has so much, you know, if he's sovereign, he's created everything. He only gives out of scarcity. But what Jesus proves to us is this, John three sixteen, the most famous probably verse in scripture, for God so loved the world, he did not contract out, he did not commission, he did not send, he gave his one and only beloved son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish. He gave his son out of sacrifice. Jesus, as he enters into the New Testament, the Old Testament starts with abundance and generosity. The serpent sows these seeds of scarcity and the New Testament, God re-ups his vow with us. He says, I'm sending you something greater than Eden. I'm sending you myself, my son, Jesus comes, and what does Jesus do for us? Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, it won't be up there, but this is what Paul writes. Though he, Jesus, was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. He was rich, generous, gave up everything, he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. It's really interesting to me that Paul is using financial language to explain the gospel, because the gospel is also a transaction. It is Jesus generously giving out of his abundance everything is as his life on the cross so that your sins can be removed. As we go further into Jesus' life, you see this. Not only does Jesus come to generously give his life, but throughout the Gospels, every act Jesus does, every ministry that he commits, it's one of generosity. 
And why is he doing that? See, this is the thing. When we think of Jesus, it's like, oh, Jesus died on the cross. That's great. But when you look at his life, it's not just he went to the cross. It's every moment to the cross was another cross he was taking. He was constantly giving and giving and giving. Why does he do that? Jesus' generosity is ushering in the kingdom of God because that is how the kingdom of God works. It is not one of scarcity. It is one of abundance and generosity. Walter Brueggemann writes this, the feeding of the multitudes, when when Jesus encounters a a crowd of 5,000, he's teaching and they get hungry. They get angry. Like, you know, have you seen hangry people? Like, imagine a crowd of 5,000 people just hangry and you're trying to, like, you know, manage them. The feeding of the multitudes, recorded in the Mark's gospel, is an example of the new world or kingdom coming into being through God. When the disciples charged with feeding the hungry crowd found a child with five loaves and two fish, Jesus took it, blessed it, broke, and gave the bread. He demonstrated that this new world or kingdom is filled with abundance and laden with generosity. If bread is broken and shared by Jesus, there is enough for all. Look, throughout Jesus' life, I'm not even getting to his death yet, but throughout Jesus' life, his three years of ministry, some would argue he is giving almost scandalously. There's this uh, phrase I read recently that Jesus' grace is terrible math. Terrible math. It makes no sense. There's some, like, Jesus has this story of there's 99 sheep and one get lost. And what does he do? Like, the financially smart person be like, well, got to cut my losses. Goodbye, sheep. Let's keep the 99. He leaves the 99 to find the one lost one. That doesn't make sense. But that is the limits of Jesus' generosity. If you don't know the parable of the workers that Jesus tells us in Matthew 20, it's a parable of someone hiring people from the beginning of the day to the middle of the day to the end of the day. And he finds these workers, and at the end, he gives everyone the same share. Like in 2023, HR would have sued Jesus. It's like, that's not fair, my brother. Like, you got to pay everyone accordingly. But Jesus, he said, no, my grace, my generosity does not logically make sense. Even the breaking of the bread and the fish to feed 5,000 people, it's like one, like Jesus, whoa, that's crazy. Like you, crazy powers you have, Jesus, but it's also symbolic. Jesus showing is this, when you see five, bread, uh, five pieces of bread and two loaves of fish, or two fishes, it's like, that's, that's not enough. That's, it's a scarcity mindset, but Jesus says, no, 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 no. In my kingdom, anything can be given to even more. Our generosity is simply not being nice Christians. Rather, it's a way of ushering in the new kingdom. It's the way of honoring that we're made in the image of a generous giver. That's why we need to be generous. And and let me get one peel even deeper. We're not only called to be generous because God is generous. We're called to be generous because it's good for you. It's good for you. Let's get selfish for a little bit. It's good for you. This is the thing. The hardest thing about being generous is that it sucks. Like, you know what I'm talking about. Like, if you give a gift and it's easy, that's not really a gift. You know what I'm saying? A true gift is one that took time, you had to think about it, it took huge financial cost, or it took a lot of time to make. That's a real gift, a real generosity. But the problem to actually do that is that it's so difficult because it takes so much out of us. But when you look at the text that we just read, I picked two very random passages. It sounds kind of weird. I don't know how many of you know this idea of the prosperity gospel, but the idea of the prosperity gospel is this. If you are faithful enough, God will materially and wealthily bless you. 
And I'll say this on the pulpit. I wish that was true, but it's not. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a proof of that. Okay? Me and Jay are very dire proofs of that. Okay? It's, it, that is, that's a false theology. But this is the thing. When you read these texts and you're very careful, it almost sounds like it. Okay? Like, follow along with me. Proverbs 11, 24 to 26. This is the Bible. This, this is not me. This is not some prosperity gospel preaching. Okay? This is the Bible. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched. The one who waters will himself be watered. The people curse him who hold back grain, but a blessing, a favor, a gift is given on the head of him who sells it or gives it. Even what, what did Jesus say in Acts 20, 35? It is far more blessed to give than to receive. That sounds like the prosperity gospel to me. But what, what is that saying? What does it mean that we're more blessed when we give? Well, let, let me start with the reverse. One thing that Proverbs tells us is when we don't give, when we are scarce, when we are selfish, when we're self-centered, what happens is although you may accrue wealth or possession or an excess of resources, you will always suffer desire and want. It's, it's, very, it's, it's such a deep metaphor, which is all over Ecclesiastes, but it tells you this. Look, if, let's just take out being generous. If you're not generous, you know what's going to happen? You're going to be miserable for the rest of your life. Because the more you accrue, the more you look at your Robin Hood or I don't know what's out there, whatever it is. And if you have that, no blame on you. But if that's your main source of security, the more you keep for yourself, the more you'll want and that want will never be satisfied. But on the flip side, what does it tell us? Those who give will be blessed. What is that blessing that we receive? There's a book called The Paradox of Generosity, not a Christian book, but in that, sociologists have discovered those who make a habit of generosity. And one thing that they make clear is there's a difference between one person that gives a one-time generous gift or a generous act and someone who is habitually generous. And what that book has discovered is this. Those who make a habit of generosity increase in physical health. You lower your blood pressure. You, you, you create stronger social relationships and bonds. You actually avoid symptoms of depression. Like, what's going on? I think it's uncovering a deeper biblical truth. Those who give consistently and freely and not begrudgingly are blessed. And what is that blessing? In Acts 20, 35, that word blessing in the Greek, and I hate doing this because there's no secret knowledge, but I, want, I think this will be helpful with context. The word blessing in Greek is makarios. And I think the better way to describe that word is not truly blessing in the English language, but the idea of flourishing. So what, what, what Jesus is saying is this, when you give, that blessing is you will flourish, you will truly become the human being God designed you to be. Like we all know this. Like there are people in your life that give a lot. And when you look at them, they're extremely happy. There are also certain friends that we have that are pretty stingy. Right? They Venmo request the exact, like, hey, I want like, the exact amount, right? Immediately. Hey, if you do that, all good, okay? All good. We all know friends like that. But when you look at those lives compared to those who give freely, even though they may not have the same possessions, just think about the joy and the life that they give you when you're around them. It's very, very different. Ronald Rollheiser, I think, captures it really well, what all these texts are saying. 
Well, what is this blessing that we receive? It's a bit long, but I hope you can follow along. Jesus assures us that the measure we measure out is the measure that we ourselves will receive in return. What does that mean? In essence, that says that the air we breathe out will be the air that we re-inhale. This isn't just true ecologically, it is a broad truth for life in general. If we breathe out pettiness, we will breathe in pettiness. If we breathe out bitterness, then bitterness will be the air that surrounds us. And if we breathe out a sense of scarcity that makes us calculate and be fearful, then calculation and fearfulness will be the air that we re-inhale. But, but if we are aware of God's abundance, we breathe out generosity and forgiveness we will breathe in the air of generosity and forgiveness. We re-inhale what our souls exhale. What Rollheiser is saying, what Jesus is saying is this. You have control over who you are. You are not set in the path, in the trauma of your past. You are not confined to the scarcity of the resources. Your personality can change out of the habits that you do. And what happens is this, when you live and commit to a life of generosity and abundance, you refashion yourself to someone who will find deeper joy in life. The blessing is not more material wealth you get. It is finding deeper joy that goes beyond the possessions that you have. It is finding the joy of giving a gift more than receiving income. That is the blessing, and that is a blessing that is scarce to find in our world today. That is what God promises us. That is why we are called to be generous. Because our God is abundantly generous and because you will be blessed, not by material wealth, but the flourishing of your soul. So with all that, how can we start to be generous? And this is, a, this is the last kind of half of the sermon. How can we be generous? And I'll say this. Um, it's not to just jump to our finances. Um, some of us struggle with giving money. Because it's, it's a difficult thing. Because wealth, maybe, especially how you were raised, it's something that is very close and dear to you. Maybe, you. maybe you did live truly out of scarcity, that you did not have enough. So that's something special to you. Completely understandable. So you need to work your way to that, right? But others of us, we just give freely. Because maybe we have enough. Like, we think we're generous because we're giving a lot of money. But what Jesus is describing is this. It's not just finances. It's all aspects of our life. How can we start to be generous? Ron Rollheiser continues in his quote, he writes this, to have a sense of God's abundance so as to risk always a bigger heart and generosity beyond the instinctual fear that us believe that because things seem scarce, we need to be more calculating. What Rollheiser is challenging us is this, what is the one thing that you cannot let go of? Maybe it's money, but maybe it's other things. And, and that's where you need to start. But I would argue this. I, what, what I want to give, hopefully, just some practical steps is this. I think one thing that we never think about uh, that we can be generous with is our time and our energy. Our time and our energy. Uh, meaning this. We have to look. Jesus did not have stock options. Did not have a lot of wealth. Had no income. I don't think he was rocking nice clothes. Probably just hand-me-downs from Goodwill, Right? He didn't have anything to give, and yet he still lived a life of radical generosity. What did he give? Ultimately his life, but to the cross, one thing you realize is he gives so much of his time. His time. And that's so crucial. 
because, because of this. Um, there's, a, there's a sociologist named Lewis Mumford. If you know me, I love reading these random things. And one argument he makes is this. Human beings have got it all wrong. The one invention that's changed the world is not the printing press, it's not electricity, it's not computers, it's not internet. The one invention that has changed the world forever and society forever is the mechanical clock. It's the mechanical clock, and I'll tell you why. What he says is this. Timekeeping passed into time serving, time accounting, and time rationing. What he means is this. Uh, before the clock existed, Time was completely different. It was not something you accounted for, it's just something that you lived in. So meaning this, when do you eat breakfast? There's probably a time where you're like, oh, it's 9 a.m., gotta eat breakfast. When do you go to sleep? The schedule, oh, it's eight o'clock, gotta put the kids down to go to sleep. We now live according to the constraints of time. Before the clock existed, that idea was completely out of the picture. When did you eat? When you were hungry. Right? When did you go to sleep? When you were tired. It was a great, simple life. But the clock has been helpful. I'm not saying the clock is from Satan or anything, okay? But what the clock has changed is this. Now time is not something that we live in. It's something that we resource, ration, and keep for ourselves. Open your calendars. Like some of you, because your calendars are on your phone, and like I always like kind of love looking at other people's phones, your calendars are crazy, right? It's like literally I cannot see and it's just like, like every hour, right? And it's completely understandable. We live in a world and place, especially here, where your time is literally money. And what, I'm, what Jesus is not asking you is like, hey, just, just live free, get rid of your calendar, and just live to the, to the biological clock that you have. That's not what Jesus is asking you to do. What Jesus is asking you to do is this. With the time that you value so much, how much of it are you giving out of generosity? And how much are you keeping it out of scarcity? Our time is the pathway to living a deep, generous life. Because when you look at Jesus' time, and Jesus' time was very, very, very limited. He lived only 33 years of life. I'm turning 33 uh, this November, right? That means, like, that was it. And the only accounts that we have is three years of ministry. So in three years, that he knew he had three years. And in that, he knew he got a lot of stuff to do. He got a lot of people to find, 12 disciples, one's going to kill him. Etc. Etc. In the midst of all that, you see a man whose schedule is packed, but also a man in Scripture that is the most generous with time that you've ever seen in your life. Like, I always talk about these stories, but they always kind of strike me, especially in 2023. The bleeding woman. If you don't know this story, Jesus is on the way to heal a sick young girl that's about to die. Might have already died. That's of utmost importance. Time is of the essence. Time is money. You gotta get there. He's on the way to heal this girl. And in the midst of him walking in a crowd, a woman touches him. And he stops. He stops and he gives his time and he says, who touched me? And the disciples get pissed. They're like, my brother, time is money. There's a lot of people in the crowd. We gotta move. But Jesus does not commit to scarcity. He says, no, 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 In this moment, I'm gonna give up my time as valuable as it is. Who touched me? And this bleeding woman comes up and says, I've been bleeding for decades. Zacchaeus, I, I don't know, we pre I preached about this three weeks ago. It, it's such a funny story to me because like in the modern 2023, there's a preacher. And, and basically what happens is Jesus is, pre and I, I'm, this is literally what the Bible says. Jesus is preaching a sermon and the short guy in the tree is like trying to stare at him. 
He stops the sermon and he says, Zacchaeus, come down. I want to eat at your house. No preacher in their sane mind in 2023 would do that. Sorry, I don't think me and Jay would do that, right? But yet Jesus does. What is Jesus most generous with outside of his death? It's his time. I think to give our time is the first step into being a deeper, generous, blessed person. And it's uncomfortable. It sucks. Because time is precious. I compl- I'm not saying that time isn't precious. But because it is precious, Jesus is asking you with this, before you even think about giving money, can you give your time to those around you? How do we do that? Three things I just want to leave you with. Hopefully you can take one. The fir- and I've, I've kind of all preached on three of these before, so bear with me. But first is this. Uh, we need to live an interruptible life. An interruptible life. Meaning this. We live life looking to avoid every and all interruptions and distractions that don't fit us. And yet, Jesus viewed every, inter- uh, every interruption not as a hindrance, but as an opportunity to give his time. Like, look, I, I, we know this. Like, there are your children, your coworkers, your friends, your fake frenemies that you have, right, that always interrupt you. And what do you do? The human instinct and scarcity is, I got I to gotta get out of this because my time is precious and interruptions are not part of my schedule. Jesus, every single time he's interrupted in the gospel, stops. No matter who it is, no matter what's happening, he gives his time. Can we see every interruption through a lens of generosity? Simple example. This happened to me recently. I was in L.A., um, I had to take a morning flight to get to uh, back home. I was like 6 a.m., so I had to make sure I get there. And I was, if you don't know, I'm going from OC to LAX. That's like a 45-minute drive. And LAX sucks, okay? So I need to make sure that my Uber is good, fast, and simple. I call an Uber, and I get nervous because, like, they find out I'm going to LAX. They cancel, they cancel. They're not generous with their time. They cancel, they cancel, they cancel. Find one guy. One thing I hate about Uber drivers is that they say a single word to me, right? I just want to sit, close my eyes, no interruptions, just take me where I want to go, okay? I come in, and he's like, hello, good morning, right? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, what do you do, right? I'm like, oh, God. It's like, I work for a nonprofit. I always use that, right? He's like, oh, like, what, what kind of nonprofit? It's like, oh, you know, we help a lot of people with children there and stuff. Like, oh, that sounds, that sounds like a church, it's like, yes, I'm a pastor. Like, ah, that's crazy. Like two minutes in. It's a 45-minute drive. I'm just like, bro, I need to like rest. And we're going. And he just like won't stop talking. Interruption after interruption. After. And he's a talker. Where, uh, sorry, he or she was a talker where it's like he says something and then you say something back and he interrupts you. He's like, oh, wait, let me tell you a different story, right? I'm just like, bro, like please, right? And I can't be mean because I'm a pastor. And I, to- I, I exposed that card. I should have kept it like safe. So we're going, and then he's like, I was like, okay, I'll try and like, like, hey, how long have you been doing this? Seven years. I was like, oh, that's awesome. It was like a Prius. Like, do you like your Prius? I love it. It's my seventh Prius. Like, your seventh Prius? What you mean? I crashed six of them, right? I was like, what you mean, right? And he's like, oh, you know, two of them were on Uber, three of them on Lyft, but it's all good. It's all good. I'm here. It's like, all right, right? And he's like, he's talking in detail, like, of every accident. All of them are his fault, right? I'm just like, bro, just get me to my location safe. And he's just talking, and I'm doing my best just to be engaged. Like, okay, 
I always say, oh, yeah, cool, like every five seconds. And I get to LAX, I'm like, thank God, right? And I go out, and I'm about to like give him like a four-star. I'm not that mean, like a four-star. I like, talk too much. But I remember he looks, like, Eugene. I was like, oh, how do you know my name? It's like, it's on the phone. He's like, oh, thank you for listening, because no one does that. And I was like, and he was like this old man. And I was just like, what am I doing? Like ignoring these interruptions. Because one thing I realized is this. One thing about interruptions that Jesus saw was that it's a two-way street. Often, the interruptions come, they're annoying to you, but the other person's trying to interrupt because they're trying to get blessed by you. And we often ignore that. And we don't give enough time to see that. Can we live an interruptible life just as Jesus did? Even in the small, annoying things. Jesus dealt with so many children. And I think the picture is like, oh, Jesus loved, I don't think he was like, ah, he was like, like, come, right? I think that's the picture he had. Because that's the generosity Jesus had. Live interruptibly. Second, I've talked about this a lot, and I'll try and wrap this up because it's getting a little long. Live deeply rooted in the present. I've talked about this a lot, and this is something that I talk about a lot because it struck me deeply. Um, I share this quote. I share this quote every three months, so just too bad, okay? Read it because it's good for you. Blaise Pascal, he writes this. We never keep to the present. We anticipate the future as if we found it too slow in coming, and we're trying to hurry it up. Let each of us examine his thoughts, and he will find them wholly concerned with the future. We almost never think of the present, and if we do think of it, it is only to see what light it throws on our plans for the future. The fact is that the present usually hurts. We thrust it out of sight because it distresses us. Thus, we never actually live, but we hope to live because we're stuck in the future. And since we're always planning how to be happy, it is inevitable that we should never be so. For us to be generous at a time, we cannot be living in the future. We have to be living in the present. You know how I know all of us are obsessed with the future? Like, when we go home, what are you going to do right after church? Like, I'm going to watch football, and then my favorite app is TikTok. I love TikTok, right? That algorithm is amazing, right? See, like, China has all my information because I'm on it so much. And every day I check, like, oh, what TikToks did Jay send me, right? Because, like, he finds the best one. And what are we doing when we're on social media? We're either trying to ignore the, the present by looking at the past memories of friends, being like, oh man, I wish I could do that, or looking at future things that we could buy. Like, oh, if I just had that, I'd be happy. And what all that doing is ignoring the present that we're living in. A scarcity mindset is fixated on the future because we're so scared that we're going to lose out. But someone living in abundance chooses to live in the present. What that means is this. As you live interruptibly, live in the present with the person right in front of you. Like, live with them. Like, whatever's going on. In the car ways that you have, be there with them. Be present in the conversation, because that's what Jesus did. Live deeply rooted in the present. Lastly, and on with this. For us to be generous, if you remember one point, just remember this. If you want to be generous, the most, Jesus was most generous with his time, not with people, but with God. Not with people, but with God. Every morning, he wakes up and prays. Why does he do that? Because he knew that to be generous by others, he needs to be generous with his time with God to get power to do so. In your schedules, as you're generous with your time, as you live interruptibly, as you're trying to be present with people, can you be generous to give God some time as well? Look, if I, I get it. Most of us, the most that we can afford right now that we think is this Sunday. That is a scarcity mindset. Live in abundance. 
Try and carve out moments every day and carve it out. Give generously time to God and I promise you, you will have the power to be generous to those around you. I'll close with this. Can we become generous disciples, a generous church, as we look to our abundant creator and our abundant savior on the cross for the power to then be generous to those around us? Um, Let's pray.